This week's episode is brought to you by Grove Collaborative. They're an online marketplace that takes the guesswork out of going green because every product is guaranteed to be good for you, your family, your home, and the planet. Plus, they'll give you a five-piece Mrs. Myers cleaning set when you sign up at grove.co slash YHL. That's grove.co slash YHL. I'm John. And I'm Sherry. We like home stuff. We like talking. And we like the occasional game show sound effect. So welcome to Young House Love Has a Podcast, where we have deep and not so deep conversations about DIY, design, and life at home. Today, we're digging into a study that says our generation's worse at DIY than our parents, including a fact that we found shockingly offensive. Plus, a look at what home features people regret, and we fight back against a poopy problem. We've talked a few times about how we are waging a little bit of war on the deer in our backyard. You know, they like to eat our landscaping. We love the deer. We just don't like that they eat the plants that we paid good money for. Yeah, I wouldn't say we're waging war. We love them. I watch them. I share them on Insta stories. We have an albino one who looks like a unicorn. Like, we love the deer. We just don't want them to eat our expensive plants. But this is not about the deer. We're not talking about the deer today. It's another animal we love but respectfully would ask not to ruin our stuff. Respectfully wage war against. No, stop saying war. It just sounds more fun that way. It's like us versus this creature. Just like in a war when you're versus someone else. I mean, a war is so violent, John. Okay, Um, we are in a debate. Okay, a spirited debate. Right. Agree to disagree with this animal. Yes, I have a counterpoint. (laughs) The animal we're talking about are birds. We love birds. Birds are beautiful. We hang birds' nests and bird feeders. We don't hang birds' nests. No. <laughs> we lay eggs for the birds. <laughs> what are those called? I'm mouthfeeding worms. We literally hang bird houses and we install bird baths. Like we love birds, but we don't love bird poop. These birds are very aggressive at the beach house and at the duplex. Yes. So here's the deal. We noticed that in the back patio of the duplex, there was a lot of bird poop. And they were also starting to poop on the furniture we have out there for renters to like enjoy and sit on. And my mom even noticed it when they came to stay. She was like, wow, you've got some active... Some very, like, digestive birds overhead. Right. I didn't even say anything. I just pointed behind her because on the lot behind the duplex, just over our fence are these huge bird feeder complexes or bird houses. There's a whole condo of them. There's like the gourd ones, and then there's like one that's more boxy with the holes that's more traditional, but it's like a triple decker. I counted. There are 36 holes in these complexes. So there's like 36 bird families of maybe four or five, however many eggs they have. And the interesting thing is they place them about... 50 to 100 feet behind their house. They have a long skinny lot that abuts the back of our lot. They're about 10 feet from our duplex backyard. So they're much closer to our house. So I don't think that even they wanted the birds that close to their house, but birds fly. And so they can fly over the fence and very quickly be in the duplex backyard and even find their way over to the pink house, which when I started looking, I did notice an abundance of evidence that birds had digested overhead. (laughs) Exactly. So how we got in this debate with the birds. It's kind of like a land war. Like we just want our land to not be their pooping ground. Yeah, we're in a friendly disagreement about where they should do their business. (laughs) Namely, not on my awnings or my furniture. In no way are we like, we want to disturb the flight patterns or the migratory behavior of these birds. We just would love for them not to beeline over to our stuff and just poop and keep going. Well, and I actually don't even mind it that much at the pink house because like, We're the ones staying there, and so we can clean it off ourselves. 
But as a renter, like for our guests that are staying in the duplex, like I don't want them to arrive for their stay and like the patio's all gross or the patio furniture is gross because I just think it, I don't know, sends the wrong signal about the upkeep of the place. No, but now we've solved it. Do you want to hear what we did? I ordered an owl. Actually, Three owls. Three owls because they said they just deter flyovers. They don't let's, like... Let's clarify that they are decoy owls. They're oh, not, yes. They're not live, breathing, pooping owls. They're like if you have um, woodpeckers or something pecking on your house and making holes, you'd put the owl near that and the woodpeckers would just find another place to peck. Well, because, you know, they don't like other predatory birds. So they're actually sold as bird deterrents. So we got these owls. We also got... What do they call them? Um, Reflective discs? Yeah, I guess you hang them from trees. They actually are quite pretty. They're just little discs. They almost look like tiny CDs without the donut hole. Yeah, I think some people do use old like CD-ROMs, like compact disc CDs because the shiny back. But I don't think I own any CDs anymore. So I didn't have spare CDs to put up. And I also thought... That might send the wrong message too. (laughs) Right. So these little reflective discs almost look like a backyard decor item like they look more decorative right they spin in the wind and they're pretty and i've noticed some other owners in cape charles who have them hanging from some trees oh really yes i think it is a common issue that if you have these tiny lots you just want to keep the birds out of this tiny area so we're not putting any on the side yard or in the front there are no owls anywhere other than behind our sheds facing their houses staring them down (laughs) this is why it's a war just to make them fly the other way we have posted some sentries at the gate right they're like our gargoyles and they're just saying don't go this way guys go the other way already we've noticed a difference they've only been up for a week Um, we covered the furniture we put furniture covers on them not a drop of bird poop on the covers in the week and before there was bird poop everywhere so the ultimate test is next week we're going to go there we're going to power wash everything and then hopefully we will not have any more poop anywhere if there's one spray (laughs) i meant stray if there's a spritz (laughs) if there's a stray a dollop If there's one stray drop, I'm okay with it. I just don't want it to be like the gathering area. (laughs) Right? Right? Like, go somewhere else for that. Use the grass. Be civilized. Don't use my tables and chairs. And I'll put in the show notes a link to the owls and the reflective discs that we bought so that if you need to start a debate with your birds. (laughs) Right. There's also a great picture I took of John holding two owls where he's very owly himself. He channeled his inner owl. Maybe I should just stand out there 24-7. That won't be weird for renters at all. No, they would love that. For sure. <laughs> Good night, guys. I'm just gonna just gonna look at the birds. <laughs> That music means it's game time and we are going to play a traditional what's not game where I'm going to give Sherry five things in a certain category. One is fake. She has to tell me what's real and what's not. This is based on a survey that I found done by Erie Insurance. It's not sponsored by Erie Insurance. I just found it because Better Homes and Gardens wrote about the survey. Okay. This is about homeowner regrets. Specifically, when someone buys a house, what do they regret not having? Like home features. Okay. And I'm going to give you a list of five things that people wish they had in their homes, but they don't have. One of them is fake. Not only is it fake, but it comes from a different list, a list of things that they regret having. It's the number one item that people regret having in their homes. I only had one guess and it was a pool. I'm going to give you the list. You let me know what your answer is after the list. You ready? Yes. So here they go. Number one, a kitchen island. Oh, they would want that for sure. Two, hardwood floors. Definitely would want that. A walk-in pantry. Yes, lovely. Granite countertops. Okay, I could see that. And ready for the fifth one? A pool. A swimming pool. 
I already know this. I'm so psychic, John Petersick. So everybody loves hardwood. Side note, if you ever DM me and you say like, what would you choose between engineered wood or luxury vinyl plank or hardwoods? I'm always like hardwoods. We put hardwoods everywhere. They're great for resale. They can be refinished. They last a hundred years. These hundred year old beach houses that are destroyed and full of mold and disgustingness, I still can bring the hardwoods back to life. So I am a huge lover of hardwoods. What else was there that I could talk about? I mean, I could see how you might well, say quartz is the new granite, so maybe homeowners aren't as crazy about granite anymore, but I still see that as a selling point. I, okay, are you debating the answers, or are you certain no, on the this? No, the answer is definitely swimming. a pool, but I don't want this game to be one second long, so it's a teaching moment for me, Sherry Petersick, to impart some knowledge. Okay, well, let's have the teaching moment after we officially close the game and find out if you're right. Okay, the reason I'm guessing a pool... Uh-huh. It's one of those you think you want it, but then it's maintenance, and every time someone's not in it, you feel frustrated. It's not how I would feel. I love a pool. I beg John for a pool, and I promise I would splash around in there every day to prove its worth. Okay. So the answer is a pool. People think they want it. Then they buy a house with it, and some people are frustrated by the maintenance. Folks, she's wrong. What? (laughs) I was so self-assured. Yeah, that's why I kind of, I liked watching you go. You watched me spiral and you yeah. smiled at me the whole time. I did. Because do you know what the fake answer is? The is one it that is hardwood? Hardwood floors. Why? Top of the list of things that people regretted most having in their home. No. What? Because they want carpet. Well, this is the explanation they gave. And I should point out that only 9% of people regretted it. So I thought you were going to say that only nine people took this poll. Because, <laughs> no. like, who doesn't like hardwoods? I want to hunt you down and talk to you. No, 500 people took it. So 9% is like. I guess a little under 50 people said they regretted it. And they said, of the people who regretted their hardwood floors, 30% said they were tired of them. Mm. 28% said they just don't like hardwoods. And 13% said that wasn't worth the money. And 9% think they're outdated. I need more. Like, what is more updated than hardwoods? Well, I think that hardwoods might to some people, because they are such a classic choice that has been around for so long... That might, for 9% of... <laughs> of 500 people. No, only 9% of the 9%. Oh, so a very, very This is small, very small number. tiny section. So I don't think we could say this is a commonly held belief that hardwoods are outdated. But I think also, let's think back to our first house. It had the original like 1960s hardwood floors that were kind of like that warm yellow tone, uh-huh. like that kind of honey. RNG, yeah. And we weren't huge fans of the color of it because the color felt kind of dated and old. Right. It was like yellowed with age. So I think if people have that sort of experience with hardwoods where it feels like an old dated feature in their home, I could see how you'd be tired of it. And maybe you would want something that felt like a more progressive material. Well, I'll jump in because some people listening are probably already DMing me because they didn't get to this part yet. But I know that there are people who love luxury vinyl plank. They think it's better for their big dogs or like Pergo. Like there's this advertising campaign behind those that says they're super durable. Yeah. You might love it. Do whatever you love in your own home. First of all, I will never boss you around. But what I have found is that a material you can refinish and keep for hundreds of years is not luxury vinyl plank. And I can put pictures in the show notes of the destroyed state of our hardwoods at the beach house and the duplex. And they shine up like a diamond. Like they're beautiful. But still, things like even tile are better suited in some homes or some families just because it is more durable. You know, if they do have a big dog. My sister had a big dog and it totally tore up their um, bamboo She had bamboo. Yeah. But still, I'm just saying that's some reasons why it may not be the perfect or most obvious choice for everyone. 
I'm still mad that it wasn't pools. Well, let's, mo- let's move on. I was going to be psychic. 15% of people regretted not having a pool. Really? Yeah. Um, the most regretted item in terms of regret not having is a walk-in pantry. 30% of people wish they had a walk-in pantry. I totally see that. It's a game changer. Yeah. Do you want to know what people regretted having? Not pools. No. <laughs> Wait, let me think. Let me see if I can come up with one thing to redeem myself. They regret having... Like extra space, too much space to clean? That wasn't on this summary, at least. Uh, They had stainless steel appliances. They regretted having? Yep. Maybe because of the fingerprints? Yep, they think they're hard to keep clean. White cabinets. What? Basically, people regret having our kitchen. Blasphemy. I love my white cabinets. Guys, any color cabinets need to be dusted and wiped down. White just shows you where it is so you can do it as you go. So like if the kids drop ice cream drips on mine, I clean it up right away. Versus darker cabinets might hide them. But you don't want hidden ice cream drips on your cabinets, right? Are we all in agreement? Again, we're talking about less than 9% of the survey. Okay. Um, other things that came up, jetted tubs. You know. Oh, they're gross. They have like mold in them. Yeah, hard to keep clean. Yeah. There's a lot of things that were hard to maintain. Fireplaces, decks, even granite countertops came up. As regrets. They yeah. didn't like them. Yeah, they wish they didn't have them. But granite countertops also showed up on the I wish I had them list higher. You know what this proves, guys? Everyone wants different things and it's beautiful. It's what makes the world go round. Yeah, so I will put a link in the show notes to the full survey results if you want to see more homeowner hindsights according to Erie Insurance. That will be at younghouselove.com slash podcast. That sound means we have some updates. The first one comes from episode 143, just a couple weeks ago. And it's a very important update about the Charmin Forever roll. Remember the giant roll of toilet paper that we pranked our friends with as the winner for guessing the plot of Game of Thrones? Very loosely, he guessed one aspect. There were a lot of things that were unguessable. It was enough of a guess to win this giant toilet paper roll that is three times the size of a normal toilet paper roll. Colossal. Needs its own stand. Yes, and apparently an article came out the same day as our podcast about the Charmin Forever Roll with more details, and they pointed out something interesting that I thought was worth bringing up just to balance our coverage of the Charmin Forever Roll. Right. To, to balance this, this was like an actual real online source, not Young House Love as a podcast. Was it Business Insider? Yeah, Business Insider was talking about, uh, I think, a Wall Street Journal article. I don't have a Wall Street Journal subscription, so I couldn't read the full thing. Was, I mean, you can read it online, John. You get five free articles. It was behind a paywall. Thank you very much. Oh, dang. They point out that part of the appeal of the forever roll is also that it is a space saver even though it's giant apparently it takes up half the storage space of the equivalent amount of toilet paper in separate normal rolls because there's all that empty space you know between a toilet paper roll so if you just get this one if you live in a smaller space which lots of people are doing these days it is actually more convenient you could shove one huge roll of toilet paper under your sink more easily than like the equivalent 16 rolls in a pack of smaller ones i guess so apparently they actually create it to target millennials and older people who are living alone, because I guess it's more convenient. Again, some of this information was behind that paywall. So I don't know all the details, but there's some marketing strategy behind it besides just, this is funny, people will like it on Instagram and order it as a joke for their friends. Right. And guess what, guys? I heard from an insider. Like, this is an anonymous tip from someone who has been in these brand meetings. Like, this person has an in at Charmin. I cannot say any more, and I asked her permission to share it anonymously. She said I could. She said when she was in a meeting and they were pitching this forever roll or were learning about this forever roll, she couldn't keep a straight face because she was waiting for them to say it was April Fool's. And then she said, let me tell you, the Charmin bear is laughing all the way to the bank because the forever roll makes them over $20 million. All from John Petersick. <laughs> 
one $29 payment from John Petersig. Right. The rest from people not using it as a joke. And apparently, she explained that it is popular among moms with college or young adult children. They set up a subscription to make sure their kids' butts, quite literally, are covered. Oh, like college students who aren't responsible enough to make sure their own homes are stocked with toilet paper. The mom is like keeping track of it from afar. I guess. But my argument is, dudes, I bought toilet paper when I needed it in college. Like that is something you will refill. You can't just like go without that. Yeah. But you know, when you're in your first apartment or whatever, like during college or post-college, like you are not the best at managing a household yet. I would argue that it is a good moment to learn it is how a- to buy your own yes. toilet paper as a young adult. But I do think she makes a good point that I could see like when I was in college and living in a house with nine other people like this would have been very convenient right well it wouldn't feel like you're always changing it I have to say after switching to LED light bulbs I love that I never change a light bulb like it has been years since we've changed a light bulb yeah but see the difference here is like to do that conversion you don't have to put in like a giant light bulb right that's true although someone did send me a picture of it in their bathroom and it must have been because it was a gorgeous bathroom it was very minimal it had like a light oak vanity white walls the big white Charmin roll because she said, I thought it actually looked kind of minimal. It looks sculptural in there, but I think it was the backdrop. It's kind of like those Peloton ads where they shoot the Peloton bike like on a balcony by the ocean. And it's like the best you can make a Peloton look because it's exercise equipment. Can you guys feel us like converting to forever roll buyers? (laughs) I don't know. You get a lot of those emails now that you signed up for one. Yes. One of them was entitled, how did we do with two O's and do? (laughs) I mean, it would be really fun to write copy for the the toilet paper. They are really embracing it, I will say. They really are. Well, and since we're talking about things that are made for millennials, I wanted to update on a really old episode, episode 92, when we talked about various industries and products that millennials are quote unquote killing. Oh yeah, like the flat sheet. What else were they killing? Well, we talked tissues. about- Tissues. Yeah, I we feel talked like about they were tissues. Killing tissues. And we are grandma and grandpa millennials, you might remember. We're like on the cusp. We are still considered millennials. But sometimes what millennials do is confusing to us. And sometimes we can totally relate like killing tissues. Well, I related to this one. There was something that went viral on Twitter recently. It was a user who said, can someone write an article on millennials killing the doorbell industry by texting here? (gasps) What about the beeping? Because when I grew up and we went over each other's houses, we'd be all meep meep and you'd come outside. you mean honking your horn? (laughs) Yes, beeping. Do you not call that beeping? I thought you meant like a beeper. I thought we were going way back. Oh, no, no, no. You just honk your horn and someone comes out. (laughs) Well, I think that is still a little bit more outdated because even my dad will pull up and text that he's outside. It's true. From his car. So I think a lot of people related to this and someone pointed out that someone did write this article. Actually, in 2017, the Wall Street Journal wrote an article about the doorbell industry falling away because millennials are afraid to use doorbells. Hmm. And interestingly enough, I was able to access this Wall Street Journal article. I got through the paywall on this one. This one's really old. They're like, fine, you can read it for free. Well, the article uses language like the doorbell feels like an unexpected jolt. It's terrifying. And according to a Twitter survey of over 11,000 respondents, 54% said doorbells are scary weird. I hate when the doorbell rings, but I think it's deeply rooted in when we had babies. And I was like, if someone rings the doorbell, I will kill them because they're going to wake up my babies. Now I just don't love the doorbell because it often feels unnecessary. Like the person putting the Amazon package on the porch will ring the doorbell, but they're already in their truck. Like they ring it and run away. So I don't have to sign anything. There's no reason there. I guess they're just telling me it's on the porch, which could be nice. But then the dog starts barking. It spawns all sorts of chaos in the house. 
So I prefer when they just leave it and don't ring the bell. I will obviously find it at some point. Well, people are saying that doorbells right now, because people have the ability to text when they arrive, that doorbells are sort of reserved now for strangers or people who are coming unannounced. You know, people are selling things. So the text is like a way of saying, like, I'm in the inner circle. The circle of trust. The circle of trust. Someone actually tweeted in this thread that said, if you are ringing my doorbell, you are a stranger or you came by uninvited and therefore I have no obligation to answer the door. Well, I've done that thing where I'm like hiding in different rooms, Mission Impossible style, because someone is at the door. I can tell they're going to try and sell me something, but I'm in a place that is visible if they crane their neck. So I will like stop, drop and roll behind the kitchen island. I will hide myself. So you agree. Doorbells are scary. I mean, I don't think they're scary. They're, they're jarring. Well, and also if you look at modern doorbells, quote unquote, like the ring doorbell, its primary purpose is not to be rung. It's supposed to be a camera so that you don't have to have it rung. Like you can see who's there before they announce themselves. It's so funny that the name is ring when it should be like watch. Well, basically. And to keep on this millennial thing, if I may. You may, because you're a millennial. That's the only reason you're allowed. I have permission. There was also an article that came out in the New York Post recently that was talking about an alarm.com survey. And the article was entitled, Millennial Dads Have Pathetic DIY Skills Compared to Baby Boomers. Zinger. Shots fired. Shots fired. Well, I feel like that's not true for you because in your family, your dad, who's not a millennial, will often ask for your help as if you're more of the expert, not less of the expert, but maybe you're an outlier. Well, I felt, you know, insulted (laughs) by the headline at first. But as I read the article, I started to agree more with it. I was still offended. But I wonder I, if it's because millennials use like TaskRabbit and they outsource things instead of learning. Well, so here's sort of the summary of it. They surveyed a thousand dads in each generation. And the kind of surprising and disappointing things were some of the stats about millennial dads not owning very many tools. They said 49% don't own a cordless drill. Oh, no. 38% don't own a set of screwdrivers. Well, and also, P.S., moms can own that stuff, too. Because my parents were divorced and I grew up with a mom who was proficient with a drill. I am also proficient with a drill. I owned tools in college without a man. I understand. Side rant. You have to understand, (laughs) I think Alarm.com timed this for Father's Day. Okay. So they're just, they're not judging women. They're just focused on men and their tools. Women can also have tools. Yes. Good job. Of the dads they surveyed, 38% didn't own screwdrivers. 32% don't own a hammer. So what do they use? Like a shoe? I don't know. They call TaskRabbit, like you said. But how do they hang like a simple picture frame? You know, in a pinch, I'll use the tape measure. (laughs) Side tip. If you need to put a small finish nail in the wall and you have a huge Stanley tape measure, which is always my favorite. They're super heavy. You could totally use that as a hammer. (laughs) Use the blunt end of the tape measure. Yes. Don't use like the measuring part. You use like the flat, solid side of it. How many people don't have a hammer in their house? 32% of millennials, millennial dads said that. So are we to believe that three out of 10 households are devoid of a hammer? Yes, it's an epidemic. Is that really true? I don't know, according to the survey. But I want to get to the part that I- I'm really upset by this. (laughs) I can't move on. (laughs) I want to get to the part that I agreed with because they also surveyed people on- which DIY emergencies could you handle? So like if you found yourself in this pickle, would you be able to do it yourself? <laughs> and I couldn't do a lot of them because oh. a lot of them were car focused. Oh. They had a big obsession with tires. Like, could you change a tire on your car on the side of the road? We both could do that, John. I could figure it out, but I haven't ever done it. Right. We've never done it because knock on all the wood. We've had like fantastic car luck, except for our battery dying like twice in 13 years of yeah. car ownership. Well, that was another one. If you had to jumpstart your car battery. Uh, we know how now because we have that 
machine. We haven't actually done it, but we bought this little charger and, and we watched a guy do it and, and it took him a minute. And last time we did it, we called someone for help. So like Because we didn't own that tool. I'm you're just, you're shortchanging yourself. You are fully prepared for both of these things. Could you repair a flat tire on a bike? Uh do you just buy a patch kit and follow the directions? Hey, John, you built a deck. We have rebuilt homes. <laughs> I understand. I say I could probably figure out a lot of these things, but I haven't done them. It's like not a skill that I have. And I think my dad has a lot more car skills. Like I could not change my own oil, but I'm sure he could. Yes. I think the skills have flip-flopped a little bit. Part of the reason they believe that is true is that both generations agreed that technology has gotten more complex. And so things are so specialized that they are harder to repair yourself. Right. And also another interesting thing from the survey was that millennials reported prioritizing family time more over DIY. They were saying, and I quote, today's time-pressed dads are quick to master new tools like apps and mobile technology for their family's benefit. They are also more likely to outsource time-consuming home maintenance to professionals who have the tools and training to get the job right. A handy trade-off that enables today's dads to spend more time with the people they love. You know, that might go back to the New York Times article we talked about last week where it said, like, you don't have to be good at everything. Right. Right? So maybe you're like, I'm a person who when something happens with this system, I will just call the pro for that system. An example might be the sprinklers. (laughs) Wherein I've watched my husband wrestle with sprinklers for maybe three solid years, like over and over again. There have been sprinkler things. We haven't even told you all of them on this podcast because it's getting ridiculous. It's fine. I've I've made peace with it. He's figured it out, and I'm very glad he installed it because he has had to fix so many things. Only a person who installed it would understand how to do that. So it has turned into a great skill. You say I have to fix a lot of things like it's constantly breaking. It's just we're moving and adjusting the heads with new plantings. And it's constantly breaking. It's not constantly breaking. <laughs> it, it only like got cut open once. It got um, aerated and it broke and like the county trucks that remove snow on our street kind of got too close to the front of our grass and scraped off some sprinkler heads. But that's a normal thing. That's why it's good to know how to do these things yourself. So I will put a link to this article in the show notes at younghouselove.com slash podcast. Like I said, I went from being offended to sort of understanding except for that whole like hammer and screwdriver thing. I'm highly offended. I had nothing in my fridge in college when I lived in a tiny apartment in New York City. Except a hammer. No. (laughs) Well, I had um, little ice cream cups, frozen pretzels that I made in the microwave, and a jar of peanut butter. That was like all my meals. I combined those in various ways. And I still had a hammer and a screwdriver. Let's move on though, because we do have one more set of updates. And it's the continuing updates to our global design norms episode. Everyone seems to really be enjoying these and we also keep getting them. So we are actually going to upgrade it to its own segment, which means it gets its own music. And I should say, if you missed the original episode, it's episode 133. I'll put a link in the show notes. And there were some updates also in 135 and another one that I'll find. Again, that'll be in the show notes if you want to check them out. But let's get to the new ones. The first one comes from someone named Erin. She is from New York, but she has moved to Amsterdam. And she emailed to say that we should Google Dutch stairs. Is it like um, a half? Because like a half door is a Dutch door? Good guess, but no. Apparently Dutch stairs are crazy steep. Like I'll put some pictures in the show notes so you can see what she's talking about because I found a few articles about them. So steep that they say that a lot of people 
actually kind of crawl up them, like use their hands almost as if they're going up like a shallow ladder. Oh, it's like a full body experience. It sounds like it. And I guess going down is even more harrowing because (gasps) the steps are really narrow. So you can only put like your foot sideways on them. So you kind of have to like go down sidestepping. And what if you're carrying something? Well, they just said that they're generally very treacherous. And the ironic thing is that apparently the Dutch word for stairs is trap. (laughs) But there is a reason for it, I guess. According to Google... There was a time in which the Netherlands started taxing people based on the width of their homes. And so the wider your home was, the greater the tax was. And so it sort of incentivized people to build these narrow homes. But in order to get a lot of square footage, they were still tall. And so when you need something that covers a lot of height, but not much length or width, you get something very steep. You get a ladder. (laughs) Basically, you get a ladder. So again, you have to look in the show notes of the pictures of these because it did look quite harrowing. Like I've seen some steep staircases in New York City. Right. This like top those by a mile. Huh. Uh, The last update that I have is from someone named Keeley from Canada who was talking about the term duplex that we use obviously frequently to talk about our duplex, which as you know, is a side by side two units in one house. Like they're mirror image floor plans across like a center line. Right. There are two front doors. There's a dividing central wall between the two front doors. And if you enter in the left door, you have the whole left side of the house. If you enter in the right door, you have the whole right side of the house. And they're a mirror image. Like the exact layout is just flipped. It's like someone sliced through the house in half like a piece of cake. And they're two of the same pieces of cake. Well, she said that's not how the term duplex is used in Canada. And this was confirmed by some of my Wikipedia hunting that actually in building codes in Canada, a duplex is a top to bottom split home. So you'll have like one apartment up top and then another one underneath. And it's that like is a, a two flat, which we learned about in Chicago. It's called a two flat, but it's like one unit downstairs, one unit upstairs. So yes. in Canada, a two flat is called a duplex. And what is what we have called? Like, is there a name for a mirror image home? Well, the Google definition, like the actual like dictionary definition of a duplex is just a house divided into two apartments with separate entrances for each. So it, I don't think is really specified as to how those two apartments are arranged. Keely also pointed out that what we have in Canada is often referred to as a side-by-side. Oh, that's a cute name. I mean, it's much more descriptive. It is. I did see some distinction in certain areas that a side-by-side is used more when they are like actual separate properties. Like if you think about like a townhome that's Mm. adjoined, so they're like literally owned by two separate people. Right. Well, maybe like the fan homes we see where they like share a roof, but the brick color completely changes down the front. Like they're completely different owners doing different things to the front, different landscaping. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't use the term duplex for those. Um, The other thing that turned up in Wikipedia is they said that the word duplex is occasionally mispronounced because people think it's a French word. So they say, I guess, duplay. Duplay. It's like, I do have a reader or two who's like, oh my gosh, every time you say foyer, it kills me because it's foyer. I cannot, as an American, bring myself to say foyer because I'm just not that fancy. This Wikipedia article said that it is standard that when you take a word, even if duplex were French, that you would use sort of the Americanized pronunciation of it here. So I think it supports your use of foyer. It's fine to say foyer here. If I'm in France one day... Drinking a café au lait in my foyer. Are you Celine Dion now? I will say foyer while I sip my café au lait. Ooh la la. And actually, I have an update that I heard from someone named Allison in Vermont. She has two things. She lives in rural Vermont. And she said, it's totally normal for the mailman to put packages in your house. 
Nobody locks their doors, and it's partially for this reason. When a package comes, they don't want it to sit on their porch getting damaged in the weather or rained on, so everyone leaves their door unlocked. There's not like a sign that says, please put packages inside. They just do it. She said she moved in and was alarmed because she'd come home and packages would be in her house, but she actually loves it now because it's convenient and nobody's messing with their house. They're literally opening the door, popping it, and closing it the door. It does sound very like small town, quaint Norman Rockwell, like to leave your doors unlocked type thing, you know? Right. Well, it actually reminds me that I saw something on Amazon, you know, because we're Amazon Prime members now. They have a new thing. I forget the name. It's like Amazon Key or something like that, where you can buy a kit from Amazon to turn your garage into a smart garage so that you can control the door with an app. And it also comes with a security camera. And you set this up and then the Amazon delivery people get a code so that they can open your garage door and put the packages in. But you can still watch them on the security camera to make sure there's no funny business going on. Right. So it probably protects them, honestly, because if you're like, something's missing from my garage, they say, let's go over the tape. Here's right. our dude just putting it down nicely. Yeah. Your neighbor stole your leaf blower, yeah. <laughs> not our dude. Which seems kind of crazy, but I also kind of like I love it. it. I think it's very honest to have the camera. I think it's really smart. Oh, but also Allison from Vermont had one more thing. She said, in the wintertime, people will bring their own slippers to other people's houses because they don't want to track mud and snow in on their boots, but their feet get cold without something to cover them up. So it's very common to go over someone's house, walk up to the door, literally carrying your slippers in your hand, hang out in someone's house in your slippers. I think it's adorable and I love it because I want to live in my slippers and have accidentally left the house in my slippers and wish that was a thing. Well, and the good news is that their door is unlocked, so you can just come in anytime and put your slippers on. Right, just make yourself at home hang out with the packages until someone gets home yeah well if you guys have more global design norms that you want to send our way now that this has its own official music we are looking forward to doing this segment again so keep them coming in uh but next up we're going to get into we're digging it's a big one this week we also have a big announcement to share with you guys but first we're going to take a quick break I know by now you've probably heard me talk about my woo-woo skincare routine, you know, my apple cider vinegar, my coconut oil, my witch hazel toner. You cannot forget the witch hazel. (laughs) And did you know that all of that stuff is available through this week's sponsor, Grove Collaborative? I did not know that, and I checked, and it is there. Yeah, I feel like those of you who have heard us talk about Grove before probably hear a lot about the green and natural cleaning brands they carry, you know, like Method, 7th Generation, Mrs. Myers, but they do have a lot of, like, beauty, skincare, even shaving stuff, too, and it's all guaranteed to be good for you, your family, and the planet. Yes, and I get so many questions about where people can find that stuff. So now I know it's all in one place. You can just ask for the woo-woo package. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't ask for the woo-woo package, but you can search. They have the Bragg's apple cider vinegar. They have the Dr. Bronner's coconut oil that I love and the Thayer's witch hazel toner. Put it all in your cart. Get it to your door. You can even sign up for reoccurring shipments so you don't ever run out of it. Yeah, and if you sign up at grove.co slash YHL for a limited time, they'll throw in a free gift of a five-piece Mrs. Meyers cleaning set with your first order. It's basically 30 bucks worth of cleaning supplies for free just by signing up at that link. Just make sure you go to .co, not .com. So it's grove.co slash YHL to sign up. Before we get into what we're digging, we wanted to share with you guys some news that may be surprising and also a little disappointing to you guys. It's disappointing to us, I will say. But this is going to be our last podcast for a little while. At least, Not forever. Yeah. Sounds like we're saying goodbye. No, no, no. Just for the summer. We've decided to sort of take a break over the summer because, as you know, we are kind of shifting our focus to manage the duplex rentals over the summer, meaning we're going to be spending a lot more time in Cape Charles this year than we did last year. And we found last year already that it was kind of challenging to record the podcast in Cape Charles with the kids out of school and on the weird summer schedule. So we just felt like 
like it was best this year just to take a break. You know, we actually just passed our three-year anniversary of the podcast last week. It's so crazy. So unbelievable to me, too, that we have now done 145 episodes, basically straight with just, you know, some holidays off here and there. And if you guys listen to other podcasts, you know, a lot of them do more like seasons where they have a time off and they come back and do a bunch of episodes. The good news is that we'll come back and I anticipate having a lot to share. Like we're basically going to save up what happens over the summer, any crazy stories, any things we learn and share it with you in the fall when kids are back in school and it's easier to make podcasts again. Yeah, I mean, I already feel like this episode is getting long because I was like cramming things in because I know it's gonna be the last one for a while. I know. So like we're sad about it too, but we think it's best. And the other good news is that we're going to be other places throughout the summer. Like we're still going to be posting blog posts. We're still going to be on Instagram and Insta stories. And we're still going to try to get back into our newsletter groove. So you will still hear from us throughout the summer. Yes. So thank you for understanding. Um, be sure that you, you know, find us on those other places if you haven't already. If you want to keep in touch, you know, via Instagram or a blog or something in the summer, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so that if you miss the announcement when we're coming back in September, it just automatically pops up in your feed in September when we're back. We'll keep you posted on the exact date as we get closer. We're just waiting to see how the summer shakes out till we know exactly the date back. But it'll be the first, you know, couple weeks of September probably. Yes. But anyways, let's get into our word diggings. Since we are taking this break, we thought we would supersize our we're diggings. We're each going to give you two things we're digging this week, and all four of them are things that will keep you busy throughout the summer. Okay, so this week, double digging. They're both brought to you by people who were on our podcast, funny enough. I didn't even realize that connection until John was like, hey, both of yours are people we've interviewed. And I'm and, like... And they were our first two guests. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay, so you guys remember our first interview with Sabrina Soto. She's been a friend of ours for years. Really love her. She, to me, epitomizes someone who really can hustle with a small budget. And that's not always what you see on HGTV anymore. And I just love that she has this legacy of shows that really champion small updates to your home that you can do on a budget. She's been on Trading Spaces. She's been on our podcast, which I'm sure she bills above Trading yes, Spaces. What, what most people know her from. Right, our podcast. But now she has a podcast. It's been out for a little over a month, I think. It's called Redesigning Life with Sabrina Soto, and I am so digging it. I love it because it is so not a little niche podcast. She talks about a ton of different subjects. So she talks about motherhood. She's a single mom. I love listening to her about that. She interviews guests with different struggles or different backstories. So she's talked about infertility with Tanya Nyack, who's this awesome HGTV designer that I've been watching since back in the Sabrina Soto days too. So it's awesome to hear from her. So she very clearly states it's not super design focused. It's about life and all the things around design because she points out that everyone wants to talk to her about curtains and colors, but she wants to talk about like more versatile life stuff with everyone. Well, and you're missing the important part is that we're going to be on an upcoming episode. Actually, I think the episode that's coming out this week, it may already be out when you guys are hearing this, but either way, we'll link it in the show notes. But she interviewed us. So now we have been reciprocal guests. And we're not talking about house stuff. So you have to listen in. It's life stuff. And I really, I just love chatting with her. She literally has been a friend for many years. She was on the podcast three years ago and we were friends even before we asked her. So that is my number one we're digging. If you're bored this summer, listen to her podcast. It gives you a whole bunch of episodes. That'll fill a bunch of Mondays for you. And then my number two we're digging. These are in no particular order, by the way. I love both these things equally. You're doing them in the order in which they appeared on our show. That's right. So our second interview was Orlando Soria. I don't know if you guys remember. A lot of people know him through Emily 
Henderson because he worked with her for a while. He is just like a really funny TV personality also, but also a huge blogger and he... Internet personality, Orlando Soria. Yes, and he's also really funny on Insta Stories. Highly recommend following him there. But now he has a TV show, his own. He did one with Emily Henderson a while ago. He was like the lovely assistant. Now he's the lovely star and it's called Unspouse My House and it is so funny and relatable and just like different for HGTV, which I appreciate. Yes, that's the thing that I liked about it because one, it's a different format. There is not a real estate house hunting part that so many of these shows have. And the setup is that he's helping people who have a divorce or some other sort of ended relationship. He's using the process of redesigning their home or their space to help them sort of move on from the breakup. Yeah, he makes me laugh out loud. And like the reveals are so beautiful to me. And he also does try to use some budget elements and bring in some things that are interesting. You know, I love design TV on HGTV. Like that is my favorite HGTV. It's not the house huntings and stuff like that. It's like actual makeovers and especially budget ideas and just unique designs. So I love his show. I'll put a link in the show show notes. notes. Jinx. Well, and the two things that I'm digging, things that will, again, keep you busy this summer. One is a book. You know, I've been on this like historical nonfiction kick ever since I read Radium Girls earlier in the year. And I had a new book recommended to me that is completely outside of something I thought would be interested in. You guys may know about it. It's called Unbroken. It was made into a movie by Angelina Jolie a few years ago, I think. I've not seen the movie, but I recommend just reading the book. It might sound dry at the description. Again, I wouldn't have thought I would like this a year ago, but it's about World War II and a prisoner of war named um, Louis Zamperini. And the story basically takes you through his life about how he was originally an Olympic runner. Like he was this super fast record-breaking runner. And then the world went to war. He went into the army and was flying planes. His plane crashed. He had to survive on a raft for like over a month with like sharks all around him all the time. And then he got picked up by the Japanese and put in a prisoner of war camp where he was basically like tortured and picked on because he was this Olympian. And so... It is just a shocking story about what he lived through and how he persevered through all of it. And it just gave me a lot of interesting context for that time in the world and also just a really fascinating personal story about what people like him, you know, who served through that war went through in that time because it's an era that I only know sort of glancing things about, I guess, from, you know, my days in school. So I really enjoyed getting like deep into this story. So it's not a short read. I think it's about 400 pages or so. Yeah. And the entire time John was reading it, he'd be like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> Like there were moments where he exclaimed from reading a book. I could just tell that he was yeah. really engrossed. Yeah. So I'll put a link to it in the show notes. The other thing I'm digging is another podcast. I feel like we should dig lots of podcasts so that you guys, again, can fill your podcast void. This one is called The Dropout. And it is, I guess, a current event news podcast of sorts. It's about Theranos. I would call it a drama. I mean, a modern day drama. It was certainly dramatic. Yes. Uh, I had heard, again, little bits about this story, about this new medical company, this startup that was promising to sort of revolutionize how people do their blood tests and making them easy and convenient. But it basically ended up being a huge scam. A fraud. Yeah, there's a HBO documentary about it, I guess. But we ended up catching this podcast first. And again, it just like kept me engrossed the whole time. We just burned through the whole thing really fast. I think it's only like six episodes or so, 
but I highly recommend it because it's just a shocking story. It's just so weird. Every time they revealed something, I was like, did I hear that right? Like, it's just so crazy. And the fact that it's a true story. A true recent story. Yes. It's just amazing that it's this really happened. Yeah. And so many employees and a large corporation were completely duped. It sounds insane when you hear it back. I just think it was very gripping. So yeah, I dig it too. Thank you. I feel like mine were kind of bummers compared to yours. No. Yours were so upbeat and mine were like, this is the news. <laughs> well, there you go, guys. Happy summer. Thanks for listening to Young House Love Has a Podcast. Yep, and like we said earlier, please make sure that you're subscribed to our podcast so you don't miss its return in September. Just find us in your favorite podcast app and tap subscribe. Yes, and keep telling us what you do while you listen, like Jane on Instagram who listened while painting brick, but not the kind that you're thinking. It was a project for her kids' Harry Potter-themed summer camp, and she was painting on a sheet. And there's lots to check out in this week's show notes at younghouselove.com slash podcast, including photos of our bird slash owl situation at the duplex, links to all those studies and articles we talked about, and photos of those treacherous Dutch stairs. And links to all four things we're digging. We hope they keep you plenty busy over the summer, and we're really going to miss you guys on the podcast. But remember, you can drop in on our blog and Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter to see what we're up to. Have a great summer. Catch you in September. We are going to upgrade it to its own official recurring segment, which means it gets its own music. Dun, 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 dun. That's not the music. It goes like this. Wait, do it with me. Do blooms at the same time I do it. It's kind of echoey. Ready? No, blooms. You're doing dupes. <laughs> That's what the instruction was. I thought We're an would... awful acapella group, just so you know. <laughs> I thought it would be like layered and interesting and have texture. No.